reading from, uh, through Ezekiel 37, verse 1 to 14, and I'll be reading th- uh, from the ESV. I'll just give you a chance to find that. So Ezekiel 37, 1 to 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them, and behold, they were there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold they were very dry and he said to me son of man can these bones live and I said O Lord you know then he said prophesy to these bones and say to them O dry bones hear the word of the Lord thus says the word of thus says the Lord God to these bones behold I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live And I will lay sinews on you, and and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So, So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and the flesh had come upon them. And skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on their slain, so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And he said to me, Son of man, these are the bones of the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you up from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and, you, and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Amen. Uh, please bow your heads with me as I lead us in prayer. Lord, I thank you for what you've already done this morning and what you're continuing to do. I thank you for the words that you have re-spoken to people that you spoke to them a long time ago. Perhaps the words that we didn't want to hear and we had conveniently forgot. But Lord, you're digging them up again. You're reminding us. I thank you for the words that you are speaking to people in you today too. God, I ask that you would seal those words in our heart, that you would not let us forget them, and that your Holy Spirit would seal them right now. I pray for the people who were called today or reminded today that they are intercessors. God, I ask that you would give them the spirit of prophecy, that they would hear your voice just as Mina said, and they would be able to pinpoint exactly what you want to do and exactly exactly the timing, and they would be able to call it forth. God, I thank you that that ability to hear your voice is so core to be able to pray effectively. And God, I ask that you would, that spirit of prophecy would rest on every single one of those people who are called to intercede 
uh, as a ministry. Lord, and I ask that that spirit of prophecy would continue to be with this church. That when we hear your voice, we would know exactly what you're doing and we'd be able to mirror what you're doing in heaven and, and see it come into earth. God, I thank you that you are that we are the hope that was set before you, uh, before you uh, endured the cross, and before you even came to this earth. And Lord, I thank you that you are our hope. You are our hope for eternity. You are our hope for life. God, without you, we have nothing. And so, God, I just ask that just as um, Jacob was saying, that you would cause hope to rise up in us not hope of anything other than in you, God. I say, just as you've been doing today, you'd kick out all the things that we uh, that support us other than you. And Lord, that you would be our main hope. You'd be our sole hope. And God, I ask that as we come before you and as we start digging the ground in this church again, Lord, that we would feel afresh that sense of joy of just simple devotion to you. Like even when we're sweating, even when we're working, even when it's inconvenient, there are those sweet moments where we just get to commune with you, God. And we would be able to know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That joy of communing with you is our strength. So God, we just commit this time to you. Uh, I ask that you would uh, powerfully speak through Susie, as you already have. Uh, you continue to. Uh, and that you would um, continue to be with us and work with us this morning. Amen. Well, uh, you know, welcome to those who have joined us just for the Sunday service. It's been quite a weekend. Um, I honestly didn't expect God to do so much in such a short time. I was a bit worried, you know, oh, we only have three sessions. It's only a day and a half. What can really God do with that time? But I've been blown away by what God has been doing um, in the last day. And I'm praying that more and more testimonies would come out. Um, You know, after today's session, we're going to break off into small groups and end that way. Um, you know, so that as we are just sharing a meal, we'll get to share what God has been doing uh, throughout this weekend. But uh, I'm, I'm going to be speaking from Isaiah 37, not very long, I hope. Um, but Isaiah 37 is a very important passage for our church. Um, it is one of those passages that has really marked our church in the past. And, you know, frankly, as I've been praying through the future of the church is one of those passages that has been impossible to escape from. It's almost like just when you think that maybe you're moving into other things like Ezekiel 37 will like kind of pull you back. Um, And it's just one of those passages that has marked our church in the past. But I didn't know how prophetic it was back then when this was first preached at our church and first, you know, uh, preached about Ezekiel 37. We were on the up. Like we were doing great. We were like starting to take off as a church. We we're like, okay, let's go and prophesy to dead bones. Cause we're not dead. We're doing fine. And we were, you know, on, on the up. Um, and I believe that as a church going through different seasons, this has been the last, especially the last three years has been a season of healing. And now the crossroads that we are in is like, all right, Church, it's start to start prophesying again. It's, start, it's time to start speaking to dead bones once again. The, you know, what, the first thing that I do want to note from this passage, as 
great as a passage as it is, the first part that we do need to acknowledge is that the amazing work of resurrection that we see in Ezekiel 37, it first has to start with death. Did you know that's the one prerequisite for resurrection? You need to be dead to be resurrected. God doesn't, res- like if, if you're half dead, that's not a full resurrection. But when we see God doing resurrection, your prerequisite, the one thing that will qualify you for resurrection is death. And it's so interesting that in this passage, the first thing that there, just hear Ezekiel, this man of God to do, it isn't just, hey, prophesy into thin air, just hear my voice and just, you know, do as I'm telling you. He explicitly asks him to go to this valley of dry bones and look around first. Often when we're going through periods of pain and we're going through seasons of challenge, the first thing we want to do is close our eyes to the difficulty. We're like, you know, oh, it's not really happening, you know, like, oh, it's not really that bad. And we want to shut out the reality of, of how dire the situation is. But God is not intimidated by that. And he asks Ezekiel, this prophet, this man of God, who he's going to ask to do the impossible. He asks him first to make sure you go there yourself and see how impossible it looks. You, I want you to take it in. I want you to go into the valley And look all around you and see just how dead these bones are. Just how dry these bones are. I want to to make sure that you see for yourself that there's not one breath of life in them. That this is completely hopeless. That there's no way that any life could come out of this. I want you to take it in. And how often have we gone through seasons where it's hard to take it in? Because that's the hardest thing to do in the moment. We don't want to acknowledge just how hopeless things are, just how dead things are. And yet God first asked this, this man of God to go to this valley of the dry bones, go into the middle of it and look around. Make sure that you see for yourself how dead and how dry these bones are. I'm going to put you in the middle of death itself. For you to see what resurrection power can do. It's not just going to be a slight upgrade. It's not just going to be, oh, like, like the cherry on top of like, of, of like, oh, things are getting a little bit better. No, it's going to be from death to life. There's not going to be like, there's not going to be a half dead to half life. No, it's from death to life. And I need you to see the death first. This is something very hard for the man of God to do. And yet he needs to see that for himself in order to see just how powerful God is. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I was in his shoes and, you know, I was in the middle of the valley of dry bones. And then God said to me, "Okay, now I want you to prophesy over this inanimate things. These things that are completely dead. I'll be like, I would rather you not have told me to see it. Right? I think I would be easier to muster up my faith if I hadn't seen how dead they are. And yet God needs him to take that in, to not shut out his eyes, to not just recourse to, you know, a wishful thinking of like, oh, but, but maybe they weren't that dry or maybe it's not that bad. Maybe it's not that dire. God doesn't give them that loophole. He doesn't give him the luxury of being blind to the direness of the situation. Resurrection starts with death. Resurrection starts with death. That is the starting point of resurrection. 
This is our story as well, not just as a church, but us as believers today. Did you know that you and I weren't just struggling or wrestling or having a really hard time before we met, met, we met the Lord? We were dead in our transgressions. We weren't half dead. We weren't all struggling with sin. We were dead in our transgressions. When you see a dead body, you should be surprised if you see a flicker of life, like if you see a limb move or something. Yeah, because dead bodies don't do that. And that's the point in God's work in our lives. We were dead. There was not even a flicker of life. There was not a move of a limb. There was not a flicker of the eyelids, nothing. We were dead, flatlined. This is an analogy that kind of soften people because it's often an analogy that uh, people try to kind of soften the reality of where we are spiritually, people will say like, oh, I was like drowning in the ocean and then Jesus came by and he pulled me out of the water. That's not entirely true. The real state of, of our condition was that we were a dead body floating in the water, face down, bloated, you know, like, uh, yeah, right? Uh, <laughs> right. We were like far gone. It wasn't like, Hey, let's do some CPR and mouth to about. No, like we were far gone. We were dead in our transgressions and God in that state, he pulled us out and he brought us back to life. So there's no use in this sugar coating. Like, Oh, it was really hard. And then I met Jesus. No, I was dead. And then I made, met Jesus. I didn't know life until I met Jesus. And so resurrection, both in us and in the body of Christ, it starts with death. And we need to take this in because otherwise we will underestimate and downplay what God is doing in our lives. We will downplay what God has done in our lives. Second thing is resurrection takes prophesying. This is a word, you know, that Pastor Caleb spoke out. And then, um, you know, uh, Pastor JP spoke out as well. And I feel like you preach my sermon in many ways. Resurrection takes prophesying. Did he know that God didn't need Ezekiel to do what he needed to do? He didn't need him. God could have just breathed on these bones. And that would have been it. Now, this is the mystery of God. Why he brings this man into the middle of this. And instead of just blowing over and, and you know, speaking over these bones, he said, you prophesy now i need you to open your mouth and begin to prophesy over these dry bones i think this is a very key word for our church right now because sometimes we kind of sit back and wait for god to do the work for god to initiate something like he doesn't really need me like he can he can do it on his own and i'm kind of waiting for god to just simply move but the truth of the matter is that god loves partnership the holy spirit loves partnership and if Ezekiel hadn't, well, this is one of those questions that we'll never truly know. But if Ezekiel hadn't opened up his mouth, would dry bones have come to life? You know, if he had chosen to be like, look, I feel kind of crazy, <laughs> like alone in the middle of dry bones. You want me to actually have a conversation <laughs> with these bones? I think it would like, look kind of cuckoo already. And so I'd rather not. How about you just do it without me having to put myself out there? But God in his sovereignty, he wants partnership with this man in order you know, to do what he already is set on doing. Now, in our church, I believe, you know, and maybe partly what we were experiencing earlier today, this idea of there's an intercession cry that needs to be released from this church. This is exactly what I'm talking about. It is a time to prophesy. 
It's a time to not just hold in your prayers, not just hope that things get better, not just keep your mouth shut and just wait for somebody else to do it. It is a time for us to start opening up our mouths and begin to prophesy, begin to speak out the truth of God, the word of God, what God is about to do. We are never going to see breakthrough unless that missing link, that missing piece happens. And that takes courage. That takes trust from the Lord. I applaud every person that, you know, unwillingly took up the mic this weekend to share what God was saying. You are prophesying. You are speaking over dryness. You're speaking over death. You are speaking over a situation that is futile. You are speaking that out. You are opening your mouth to release what God has been saying, what God wants to do in this community. That's called prophesying. And so every person that just got over their, their, you know, themselves and they got, got over their fear of talking in public. And, you know, I actually don't really like speaking. You can't really tell right now, but I really don't like speaking in public. But I knew that when God had called me to say different things to the church and he had called me to, you know, to place something in my heart to speak it to the church, it would be the most selfish thing for me to do to be like, Thank you for the word, but I don't think I can do it. Like, thank you for the word, but they'll just have to do without it. Thank you for the word, but use someone else. Um, that is me saying, like, this is the word of God and it's super important, but this is my, the importance of my comfort level. You know, how, like, I, my personality, you know, I'm not extroverted, you know, like, I don't really like mics and I don't really like stages and all of that. It's like, that is your priority when you say No. When you say, great, thanks for the word, and I'll just keep it to myself. That's what you're saying. You're saying, I prefer my comfort over the edification of the church. I'm not trying to guilt trip you into it, but like, this is what it is. It boils down to that. I'd rather be comfortable than see somebody get blessed. I'd rather be comfortable than see somebody hear God's voice through what I'm sharing. I'd rather kind of be comfortable in my own little comfort zone than put myself out there. Maybe I'll be made a fool. Maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe what? There's always going to be maybes. But this is my exhortation to us as a church. It is a time to lay those things aside and begin to prophesy, begin to share your testimony, begin to take these opportunities and know that it's not about you. Like it's actually really not about you. It's about the body. Can I tell you something really funny? When I lead worship, and I do this very often because I, I'm still lead worship at K1, I have zero like stage fright when it comes to leading worship. But when I have to sing a song in front of people, when I'm presenting a song, when people are just sitting there and listening, I actually do get stage fright. It's like, it's very weird, but that dichotomy is very strongly imprinted in my mind. When I'm leading worship, I'm like, it's not about me. <laughs> Like, really, it's not about me. It's not about how well I sing. It's not about, like, wow, how anointed she is. Like, it's really not about me. And if people start pointing, you know, start talking about that, I'm like, look, that's none of your business, right? <laughs> You're not here to listen to my voice. You're here to worship God. I'm just, like, paving the way, but it's about God, right? And it's very clear to me. But when I have to, like, sing a special song for something or, like, sing at someone's wedding or something like that, it, like, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, people are looking at me and it is about me. And, oh, my gosh, and I get stage fright. It's so interesting. In, in one sense, I'm, I'm, like, so, it's so clear to me that this is not about me. This is about ministering to the people of God and leading people into worship, into the presence of God. And that kind of like settles it for me. There is no glory for me to be had. This is all about God. The, the better I do my job, the less they should be looking at me and the more they should be looking at God. Like it's very clear that that's what happens when you're leading worship. Or that's what should happen when you're leading worship. 
But for me, it's like such a clear difference when it's not that. And when people are looking at me and it is about me and I, all of a sudden I, I freeze up and it really, uh, you know, it, it's such a different place to, um, to sing from. Even if I could be singing the same song, it doesn't matter. I could be very, like, I understand all the chords. I know exactly how the song is going to go. It could be the same thing, but it's a very different mindset in that way. And so this is my exhortation to us. Resurrection takes prophesying. It takes that intermediate, that man of God, to speak out the words of God before we see anything happening. The scary part of it, it is until you speak that out, you won't see any signs of life. You won't see any inklings of like, oh, I think I hear some rumbling of bones. Like, oh, I think I, I hear some breath of God. There's not going to be anything like zilch, nothing, until you speak forth God's word. And that's when we see things beginning to move. It is such an interesting journey of faith that God takes us on to take those steps of faith and trust him and how he's leading us. Often we're waiting for that. Oh, is it, is there openness to it? Like, is there signs that God is going to do something? Is there that rumbling of bones? Is that, is, is there like wind blowing through here already? And if that happens, then I'm in, then I'll prophesy. But oftentimes God will bring into this situation. We just have to start prophesying in the midst of the dryness, in the midst of the death. It's so interesting that he doesn't give Ezekiel a choice as well. It's imperative. Prophesy. It's like, if you like, if your personality, you know, like, or if there's, a, you know, it's prophesy. Like, I'm not going to leave you any room for interpretation. Like, prophesy to these dead bones. Speak out the word of God over these dead bones. It's an imperative. In Revelation 19.10 you know, it says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It means two things that what Jesus has done carries a prophetic spirit, carries a, a breath of God, a power to change things. That is what Jesus has done carries power. And secondly, it also means that all true prophecy testifies of the person of Jesus. You know, when we hear people sharing about what God has done this weekend, it ultimately points to Jesus. It ultimately doesn't give glory to ourselves. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we're taking credit for something. It means that somebody is choosing to be bold enough to stand up here and say, look at what God has done. Isn't he beautiful? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he compassionate? Isn't he patient with me? It's exhorting people, using me. Everybody look at Jesus. Everybody look at God. Isn't he wonderful? That's what prophesying does. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Ultra prophecy testifies of the person of Jesus. The passage that Pastor JP preached from, uh, uh, spoke from yesterday, you know, it talks about sons and daughters who have overcome in the end times. And it says in Revelation 12, it says, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters, he accuses them before our God day and night. That accuser has been hurled down, and this is how they triumphed over him. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, so the finished work of the cross, and the word of their testimony. Do you think it was a quiet testimony of like, oh, Jesus is very nice to me kind of testimony? No, no, it's, it's a prophesying of the goodness of God. The word of their testimony, the word, it needed to be spoken out, the word of their testimony and the blood of the lamb is how they triumphed over the accuser of the brethren. 
They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death, even when they knew that speaking out their testimony, speaking out what God had done, would cost them their lives. This is a picture of the end times church, a picture of sons and daughters that are so convinced that God is real and God is worthy. I cannot just close my mouth and let other people perish. I must speak out what God has done in my life. I cannot be silent. I must prophesy. I must testify, even if it costs me my life. Now, none of us here are going through persecution, right? It's not like somebody is holding a knife to our throats and say, if you speak the name of Jesus, you know, like it's going to go really badly for you. It's much less than that. It's just, oh, what will people think? <laughs> like, oh, but it's so inconvenient. Oh, but I'm not sure if it's right. And it's something very small that keeps us from testifying about Jesus. My prayer is that by the time we do experience persecution, by the time the church goes through major shakings, that we will be so confident in what God has done that it would take more than just, oh, what will people think of me for us to shut up? It will take more than just, ah, oh, is it appropriate right now to share, to shut up about what life? Like, oh, are they open right now to hear what Jesus is doing? It will take much more than that for us to shut up about what Jesus is doing. So church, we're called to prophesy over dry bones. We're called to speak out our story. We're called to speak out the heart of God. Don't disqualify yourself just yet. God can use any vessel. God can use any vessel to speak out his word. He can use even a donkey. You guys know that that's biblical, right? God's like, oh, uh, uh, okay, let's use this donkey, you know? And God is able to use a donkey. If God can use a donkey, he can use you. Come on, right? Yes, thank you. If God can use a donkey, he can use you. Please do not disqualify yourself. Oh, I'm not very good at public speaking. I'm like, oh, I got There's always so many different reasons why we justify us not speaking out. But God loves to partner with people and he will use a vessel in a sovereign wisdom. He will use a vessel instead of just waving his hand over things. And instead of just speaking things out over things, he will use a person, a man and woman of God as a vessel to bring forth life, a vessel to bring forth his truth. He could have done it without you, but he chooses to do it through you. That is part of the mystery of God. He could just preach this message that I'm speaking right now. He could just preach it from the heavens. You know that he could do that if he wanted to. And yet he's choosing to use a broken vessel like me to speak out his truth. And that is simply how God works. He chooses to do it through you, not for your glory, but that quote unquote, they shall know that I am the Lord and I have spoken. The third thing is resurrection ends with God's glory. Resurrection ends with God's, God's glory. It starts with death. It takes prophesying. And then it ends with God's glory. Ezekiel uh, 37, chap, uh, chapter 37, verse 13. It says, and you shall know. This is the end result. This is the reason why I'm asking you, Ezekiel, to speak over these dry bones. This is the reason why I'm asking you to stand in that valley and speak these things forth. And this is the reason. This is ultimately what I want. And you shall know that I am the Lord. 
When I open up your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it declares the Lord. It ends with God's glory. This is not a story about, wow, how great Ezekiel was. This is a story about how great God is. And that should be the story of our lives as well. We partner with God unto his glory. This is where we want to land things. This is where old and gray hope people to see in our lives. My prayer is when I am old and gray, hopefully old and gray, I'm getting old, but not gray yet. Thank the Lord. But when I get old and gray, that people will be like, wow, what a great pastor Susie was, you know, like, wow. Like she really loved people more than that. I want people to see my life and be like, what a great God she worships. What a beautiful savior she worships. I couldn't wish for anything more in my life. That's a reason why I show up. That's a reason why I pray. That's a reason why I labor. That people would know that I worship a beautiful God. A God who's worthy of everything that I do. A God who's worthy of every sacrifice. I want people to see God's glory through my life. I don't want people to walk away with the glory of Susie. That's cheap. (laughs) That, That won't get you anywhere. I want people to walk away with an idea of God's glory. And this is a testimony that I want to see rising up from our church. That people will look at New Philly and be like, wow, what a great church New Philly is. Wow, they really love worship. Wow, they really love one another. That's great. I think those are great. But what if the city could see the church of New Philadelphia Church and say, what a great God they worship. What a great Lord they worship. It's so clear to see God's fear that they trust in his, this church. It's so clear that God is working through these people's lives. It's so clear that they trust in his word. It's so clear that they sing his praises. I want people to look at our church and say, what an incredible God they worship. I don't want them to walk away with this idea of the glory of New Philadelphia Church. I hope they really don't. What I want them to walk away with is like the glo- an idea of the glory of God. These people worship a God that is real. These people worship a God that is true, that is intimately involved in their lives. These people worship a God who has done the impossible in their lives. This is a God that heals. This is a God who has brought people to salvation. This is a, this is a God that does the impossible. That's what I want people to walk away with when they look at our church. Wouldn't it be amazing if that's our testimony as a church, that people would see the goodness of God through what we do here on earth. So this is my question for all of us. Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? I think it would be such a loss if we end this retreat today with like, wow, that was really great. That was a great experience. We sang some really great songs. We heard some great words. We had some great moments of connection with our small groups. And now we're going to go back to life as usual. Wouldn't it be a shame if that's all, all it was is this great experience. All it was is, was, whoa, that was a great weekend. It would be such a loss if that's all that this weekend was about. This is my exhortation to us as a church. Let this transform you to the point where walking out of here, you're not the same person again. Where it changes the way that you talk to people. It changes the way that you choose to minister. It changes the way that you relate with one another. It changes the way that you make decisions in your daily life. It changes the way that you worship. It changes the way that you see yourself as well. Can I say this aside? And I I say this, uh, you know, many of you disqualify yourself from certain things because you play the introvert card. 
Hmm. You don't like what I'm saying right now. Yes. You don't like that, right? I love introverts. I don't know if I'm an introvert. I'm kind of like somewhere in the middle. Some people say I'm extroverted. Some people say I'm introverted. But I've seen you play games. You're not introverted. I mean, come on. Come on. I've seen you. (laughs) Don't use that card to disqualify you from doing certain things. It's going to be your loss and the body's loss. If you spend your entire life saying, but I'm an introvert, but I'm an introvert, but I'm an introvert. Every opportunity, every open door that God gives you, but I'm an introvert. You can spend an entire life playing that card. But at the end of your life, you're going to look back and see how many missed opportunities you had to edify the body. And it wasn't about you. It was about the body. So please, you know, God loves introverts. God loves extroverts. He loves everybody. But don't use that as something to disqualify you from doing something that you feel God is calling you to. God can supersede those things. You know, all over the Bible, it's like, oh, Lord, don't choose me. I hate public speaking. Oh, Lord, don't choose me. I'm but weak. God chooses those people. And he said, great. Now I can use you. Right? Great. You're an introvert. I'm going to make you speak in front of people. Great. You're an introvert. I'm going to use you to connect people with one another. Come on. Like, don't think like God's like, oh, they're weak, but I'll still use them. Oh, they have this past, but I'll still use them. Oh, they're an introvert. Oh, shoot. I can't use that. You know? No, that's not how God thinks. God's like, great. I'm going to use you now. Whatever excuse that it is that we have. And I know I'm picking on introverts right now, but it's not just that. It can be any kind of excuse that we use to disqualify ourselves. I hope this weekend was kind of an exercise of sorts of like, oh, public speaking doesn't need to be that hard. Oh, sharing with people that I don't know in my small bin. Oh, maybe I can enjoy that hard. Oh, like maybe the worst case scenario doesn't always have to happen. Oh, maybe I can entrust myself to other people. Oh, maybe I can lift my hands during worship. Oh, maybe I can answer this altar call. I'm, I'm hoping that this weekend was an exercise of sorts where we get out of our comfort zones and we put ourselves out there and we wait and see what God is going to do. That's what it means to have faith. That's what it means to put ourselves out there, outside of what we're comfortable with, outside of what we prefer doing, and see whether God is able to move in those situations. And I feel like walking away from this this weekend, for sure, for sure, I've seen God moving. In just in the last day and a half, for sure, God has moved through you guys, in you guys. I feel like God has definitely moved. I'm not going to walk away from this retreat, this retreat saying like. Oh, well, I don't know what God did. Like, I feel like, oh, there's so much that God has done in such a short time. And so where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? I don't want this to just have been a good weekend. I want this to change the way that we do life. I want this to change the way we do community. I want this to change the way that we do ministry. I want this to change the core of who we are. And if that happens, then this weekend was well spent. Then this time was well spent. If that doesn't happen, then eh, maybe you gain some things from coming out this weekend. And maybe, you know, it wasn't a complete loss, but you won't walk away with this understanding that God is doing something here in this community. And so I'm going to ask the praise team to come up again. We're going to close with a time of prayer for today. I hope if you feel called out today, you don't take it too offensively. (laughs) But 
I believe God's trying to say something here today. I hate that in our church over time, there has been this growing expectation that the ministry is done by the staff. I hate that that has been perpetuated over the years. I hate that people are sitting back waiting like, well, what will Pastor Susie do? What will Pastor JP do? What will Jacob do? Let's wait for, you know, for the ministry to happen when, the, you know, that is not biblical. Our job as staff and our job as pastors is to equip the saints. Y'all are the saints. My job is to equip. My job is not to do all the work. My job is simply to equip you that all of us would do the work together. That is what the church is. That is what the body is. Each part plays its part. I can't play your part, Melvin. I can't play your part, uh, uh, Leanda. <laughs> I can't play your part. Like, you know, you're a different part of the body. I can't play your part. My job is simply, you know, if you are, you know, the index finger, <laughs> Leanda, if you're the index finger, my job is hopefully to help you be the best index finger there is in the body. And that would mean that I've succeeded in my job simply to equip the saints to do your role, do your job. We can't be walking around in the body with limbs missing and fingers missing and, you know, body parts missing. We can't, you know, if, if the pastor is, I don't know, what's a random, if the knee, we're just going to have a knee walking around. That's all we're going to have. But if we're called to be a body, then every part is called to do its part. Every part matters. Your contribution matters. Whether you show up or not matters. Whether you're praying or not matters. If you're reaching out to people or not, it matters because you're part of the body. You're part of the body. Don't discount yourself. Don't say, well, somebody else is going to do it. And we're going to have a body that is healthy. We're going to have a body that knows how to minister to one another and ultimately gives glory to God.